As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Prepare our hearts, Holy One, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your good and life-giving will. In Christ, amen. Our first reading comes from the book of Isaiah. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To lose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointling of your finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to live in. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. Let's go to God in prayer. Startle us, O God, with your grace and truth and love. We have heard in scripture and in song the beauty of your will for us. Help us to ask with faithfulness what you are telling us this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This will be the fourth sermon in a series I've called Roots to Rise. And in it, I've been talking about foundational narratives in the Bible. These stories are the roots of our faith, and they tell us how to not just survive in the world, but how to rise up in life and thrive, how to make choices that give life for ourselves and for others, and to turn away from the things in the world that would draw us toward death. In the first week, we talked about the creation stories and specifically about God's invitation to be fed by the tree of life and to place our trust in God rather than making gods of ourselves. We talked about how that is not just an ancient story for once upon a time, but it is a metaphor for a choice we make every day of our life in the world. In the second week, we looked at the story of the Exodus and the journey of the Israelites to freedom. Again, it's a story that is not just an ancient one about another people. It is about the daily struggle to get human beings out of slavery and to get the impulse toward slavery out of us, to help us be people who actually embrace the freedom God wants for us. In the third week, Jana spoke about wisdom literature, the Bible's words that help us understand how the world works and inspire us to see life as a gift and to see our own lives as something that God created and called good. And today we turn to the role of prophecy in the Bible. This is where we make the most intentional turn outside of ourselves and our own personal faith and toward connection with life in the world. Prophecy, as I have often said to you, is not about predicting the future. It is not about some kind of crystal ball that tells the prophets the future. 
Prophecy is rather about the present day. Prophets were ancient social commentators. They looked at the world around them, the realities of poverty and justice, the role of leaders, the role of religion, and they would speak and write about God's vision of how life in the world should be. Prophecy in the ancient world meant saying pointed things to kings and priests and everyday people about their role in making the world a better place. So in the modern world, the words of the prophets are the place we go to see what God thinks about things like hunger and housing in our cities, violence in Israel and Gaza, how to keep going in life when these problems and so many others seem impossible to fix. And this morning we turn to one of those stories of prophecy in the Bible and ask what it has to teach us. The book of Isaiah, which was the source of our first lesson, it spans more than a century of especially desperate history in the land of Israel. After the journey into the promised land, when the people left slavery in Egypt, the promise of home and freedom that is given to them culminates in the glory days of the kings David and Solomon. But following the reign of Solomon, the kingdom is weakened. It divides into two warring factions, two separate kingdoms, and then both of them are threatened by invaders from other empires, and the kingdoms collapse. Throughout the book of Isaiah, the people are first under siege, and then they are defeated and exiled from their home in a story that sort of reenacts Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden back in Genesis. And finally, in the end, through God's acts of redemption, they are able to return home. The people's rebellion over and over again, and God's faithfulness and welcome in response to it, that's what shapes this story from start to finish. The prophet Isaiah speaks to the people about the society that is collapsing around them in this time in history. He tries in vain to get them to turn their lives around and to make that choice for life that God has been talking about ever since Genesis. In the passage you heard this morning, Isaiah describes the need for the people to restore the essence of their religion which has become an empty hypocrisy. It is like people who go to church on Sunday but whose lives have no sign of God's love the other six days of the week. The role of the prophet is to invite, to cajole, to use all means necessary to get the people to choose life and to see the world not through the cynical eyes of hopelessness but through the eyes of God. Then in the New Testament, John the Baptist takes up this mantle of prophecy and frames the life of Jesus in exactly the same way. Prepare the way of the Lord, he says. Make his path straight. 
Change your hearts and lives. Make your religion vital, relevant, life-changing, and not just a hypocritical show. The specifics of the passage from Isaiah reinforce this message. It is about the intimate connection between religious practice and life in the world. They are two sides of the same coin. The rituals of faith, whether we are talking about fasting and bringing sacrifices to the temple in the Old Testament, or communion and baptism in our own tradition, these things are empty unless we connect them with the pain and the struggle of the world. So baptism is about our acknowledgement that the whole of our life belongs to God, not to the fleeting material luxuries and temptations of this world, things that can and will be taken away from us at any time. No, our lives belong to God. That's what baptism is about. And communion? Communion is a meal, food and drink. It's not some little square of bread, not some tiny cup, but it is meant to fill us in places that we are hungry in life, be they spiritual or emotional or physical. It is a literal reminder that people in the world are hungry and that it is our calling as Christians to feed them. When we take these rituals, these practices of our faith seriously, we steer away from a religion that is hypocritical or that is merely polite and toward a faith that is actually transformative for ourselves and others. This is the biblical foundation for what the church calls mission. So the passage from Isaiah warns against fasting and ritual sacrifice that is merely a show, where people parade their false piety and allow oppression and petty conflict and anger to go on even as they worship. And in contrast, the fast I choose, says God, is to share bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, to cover the naked, and in all things to be, quote, repairers of the breach and restorers of streets to live in. I love that phrase. Repairers of the breach, restorers of streets to live in. Prophecy is connected to the other stories we've talked about in this sermon series because it is intended to help us choose life in a world that tempts us to choose death. Prophecy is meant to guide us in daily decisions to look outward beyond ourselves and to seek to love and serve others. And the daily practice of prophecy is not just an arrow that points away from us into the world. It's more like a loop that connects our inner lives with the outward needs of the world. We go out into the world to serve and to learn and to see what is out there, and we come back to the resources of our faith to keep us from losing hope 
when the challenges seem too great. You can probably think of someone you've known who has this figured out. Most people who live lives of service directed toward others are also grounded in a spiritual foundation that feeds them for the work. These are the restorers of the breach mentioned by Isaiah. The ones who have the grounding in faith and the love for the world to be change makers and also to realize the limits of what we can fix and to not be discouraged because they rely on God for their strength. I've been deeply troubled, as I know you are, by the terrible violence in Israel and Gaza and the explosive potential of that situation. I am far from an expert on the situation, and I struggle to know what is the right thing to say, but still God calls us to speak and not to stay silent. I read this week about a circumstance in which a local clergy person, like I am, said and did something that seemed to me like the right thing. It connected faith with action, and I wanted to share it with you. A rabbi in the D.C. area and a local friend who is an imam share a close relationship. The Dulles Area Muslim Society has held their Friday prayers in the synagogue building of the North Virginia Hebrew Congregation since 2008. Following the recent acts of terror perpetrated by Hamas and the military response from Israel, Imam Muhammad Magid contacted his friend, Rabbi Michael Holtzman. He volunteered that his community would take no offense if it was simply too painful for their Jewish friends to continue to host them in the aftermath of October 7th. I'd like to read to you from Rabbi Holtzman's response. October 11th. 2023. On behalf of the Northern Virginia Hebrew Congregation, we invite the members of the All Dulles Area Muslim Society to attend Juma prayers at our synagogue building, as you have done every Friday for over 15 years. We do not want to support the notion that the conflict between Israel and the Palestinian people is primarily a conflict between Judaism and Islam. Both of our religions clearly prohibit violence against innocence, the taking of revenge, or the holding of hostages. We reject the idea that the Holy Land is meant for believers of any one faith. We affirm the teaching of the Holy Quran that God created us differently so that we can learn from one another. We understand from the Torah's command to love the neighbor that we must first know the neighbor, and therefore we are meant to coexist in proximity to one another. We believe that through our small shared prayer space, we demonstrate the greatness of human nobility. 
and our welcome is rooted in a desire to defeat extremism and the idolatry of vengeance. You can read the full text of the letter in our denominational publication called The Presbyterian Outlook. It's available online. It was published this week with permission as a testimony to the beauty of the relationship between those two communities who have reached out to one another so prophetically, who refuse to give in to cynicism and despair. In this story, we see a model of how to shape one's life and relationships through an ongoing effort to connect faith with action, to have our deeds follow our words, to be emboldened by our faith, to take risks for the benefit of others. How incredible is this rabbi's testimony that in an act of prayer, a local community demonstrates the greatness of of human nobility. And they are. Through an action that originates in the fundamental practices of both of their faiths, they are doing something in the midst of an impossible situation. Where most of us feel lost, they are advocating for goodness and peace. In the face of suffering and death, they are what Isaiah calls repairers of the breach and restorers of streets to live in. This week, this very morning, members of Knox Presbyterian Church are in McAllen, Texas, along the southern U.S. border. They are there working with refugees and immigrants, meeting and feeding them, praying and extending a hand of friendship. You were invited in this morning's Minute for Mission, to join us in a couple of Saturdays and to spend the day getting to know one of our church's local mission partners who support and encourage families who have lost their homes and who find children who spend most of their days hungry and give them something to eat. These are not problems that are easily solvable. But in all of them, we make our humble efforts to understand more, to connect faith with real life in the world, and to perhaps be drawn into something larger than ourselves because we turn outward and listen for God's voice. Friends, this is prophecy. The invitation, the daily invitation to have our faith inspire us to be repairers of the breach and restorers of streets to live in. Amen.